You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. If you have your Bibles for Thessalonians, we launched this series last week. The title of the series, When God Builds a Church. And that's just a remarkable reality in uh, the book of Thessalonians. Why? Because Paul, Timothy, Silas, they only had three weeks in Thessalonica, if you remember. The jealous Jews got some scoundrels together, rallied a mob, and Paul's team got out of Dodge. Three weeks, three ministries in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and the church was planted. Last week, we talked about one of Paul's concerns. Could three weeks really establish a church for the kingdom and glory of God? He was burdened that possibly persecution, trials, sufferings, difficult times would rip off the fruit of that church. So what does he do? He sends Timothy. Timothy goes from Corinth to Thessalonica. Uh, Certainly a, a, a significant effort comes back with the reports. And I can just see Paul celebrating the grace of God, the glory of God, the gospel of God, because it took root. And so why do I title the series, When God Builds a Church? Only God could do it. Three weeks of ministry, the team was gone, and the church exploded. And we're going to see some great truths from that. I hope you have your Connect card this morning, because I uh, decided to start a little bit differently I apologize we didn't get to you a big picture booklet. So historically, we try to orient you to a book study by painting the background and all of that. We didn't get that done. Our bad. But I do want to start out this morning with some themes. Do you remember what Amy challenged us to do last Sunday at the end of the sermon? Anybody remember? Yes, nice and loud, Caitlin. Five chapters, five days. Anybody take that challenge and get it done? Well, you you knew about it, you just didn't do it. Okay. (laughs) Oh, well. Um, I took it to heart, but I was doing that for many weeks up to get ready for this series. That's what you have to do as a preacher. Fill your heart up, your soul up with the word so you can see what God is speaking first through his word to you so you can share with the congregation. But what I thought to do today was start out with three of the core themes to orient you to read Thessalonians. They're core themes that he comes back to. In Bible study, repetition is key. I say that all the time. So if you have your Connect card, let's start out with three themes and then we'll get into the main focus. First theme is urgency. I really love this about the Apostle Paul. He's like, you know what? Time is short. Get in the game. Don't think you have forever to live. Let me show that to you. And four times, by the way, he uses the word urge. I urge you. So I'll give you a taste of it. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging, comforting. Notice the next phrase. And urging you to do what? Live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I hope you remember the day of Carpe Diem. Do you remember that? Cease the day, boys. Cease the day. Today is what counts. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel right now. Urgency. 
causes us to pray like the psalmist encouraged in Psalm 90, verse 12. Listen to this. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. You know what Paul is saying to the church of Thessalonica and you and I this morning? Live like there's no tomorrow. Live with urgency. Live with passion. Be a people of affections for things above that translate into Christ-like living today. We had a staff retreat this past uh, Monday, and Wildwood hosted us. Caitlin, it was such a joy to be with her there. But we, uh, we closed our retreat at a sacred spot at Wildwood. And I won't go into all the details, but it was a time of prayer, Really a very emotional time for me personally. And we went around and we just shared one word as we're dreaming for Westwind. One word we're dreaming personally. And I recorded those words. But one of our staff members talked about being excited. Being excited for what God is doing. To see his kingdom coming. That's what Paul is doing with the church at Thessalonica. Living with urgency today. Expecting great things of God and for God as we live urgently. Secondly, and this is a core theme, and I would suggest probably the dominant theme, expectancy. So not only do you live urgently, you live expectantly. And so here's the cool thing. Thessalonica, uh, Paul writing to that church, gives this balanced biblical worldview he wants you to live all in in the here and now, but he wants you always to have eternity in your hearts. Live with anticipation that, yes, Christ is coming again. All five chapters, my dear friends, talk about the second coming of Christ, the imminent return. It could happen today. And so let me show that to you. It's beautiful. First Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20. And again, this is one of five passages. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are glory and joy. So Paul's testifying, hey, church, when Jesus returns, it could happen today. I'm going to be filled with joy. Why? Your faith is real. The church and gospel took root and it's beautiful. And so one of the encouragements today is, if we go back to the first point, urgency, live with one foot urgently in your context and live fruitfully, go all in. But we also have another foot in eternity, folks. We will never live in a manner worthy of the gospel unless we expect the imminent return of Christ. It is a solid foundational doctrine of the Christian faith that ultimately gives hope. Are you familiar with Randy Alcorn? Uh, one of the greatest authors uh, of our uh, world today. Uh, and he wrote a book, A Treatise on Heaven. And there was a gap uh, of heaven literature for a while, but Randy accessed as many books as possible. He got 150 books on the topic of heaven over a period of a couple hundred years, read them all, sat down and said, God, please write through me. And he wrote this book on heaven. You want to you wanna have a uh, view of eternity, read that book. But one of the things Alcorn brought up, and it got my attention, have you heard this phrase that sometimes you're so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good? 
You ever heard that? Folks, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. Sometimes we are so earthly-minded that we are no heavenly good. As we prayed this morning, that was my confession. I really feel at times the earth just kind of, this life just kind of gets a hold of me. Why? This is all we have, kind of, unless we have this eternal perspective. Well, we're going to get a huge dose of that going through First Thessalonians. Five times in each chapter, we're going to talk about the imminent return of Christ. So we live urgently, we live expectantly, and this is our topic this morning. Uh, it's powerful. Uh, theme number three, we live authentically or with authenticity. So where do I get that from? And again, remember, this was Paul's concern. Preached the gospel, three weeks, boom, persecution. He had to leave. Did the gospel take root? Timothy comes back with a report. Oh, it took root. Let me show it to you, a few verses. First Thessalonians 3.8, I love this. And this is going to be a topic for a whole talk. For now we really live, notice, since you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul says, my joy is complete. I feel confident in the gospel. Why? You're standing firm in the Lord. Persecution didn't wipe you out. You didn't hear the gospel, and, and it didn't fall to shallow ground. It took root and sprung up and bore fruit. Now, let me show you something that we're going to tackle next week. 1 Thessalonians 1.7. As a result, look, look at what Paul says. You became an example, some, church, some translations say model, to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Can I encourage you this morning? This is the only time in the New Testament that any writer talks about a church being a model or being an example. Guess what? For the most part, the churches in the New Testament aren't models, aren't examples. The letters are written for correction. You know what Paul's writing? He's writing for affirmation. God built a church. You're a model, and your example is permeating all of Macedonia. Way to go, Church of Thessalonica. What a grand reality. And so it begs a few questions. How did this happen? How was this authentic faith produced? And what does authentic Christianity truly look like? So that's going to be our topic for the next three weeks. Chapter one is dedicated to authenticity. And so we're going to touch the tip of the iceberg uh, this morning. So stand with me. We're going to cover... Uh, part of the first five verses, but we're going to be in chapter one for three weeks. So Paul writing this church, he's filled with joy. He's overwhelmed. They're standing firm in the faith, and here's what he says. Paul, uh, Silvanus, so that's also Silas, that's the Greek name, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, as Greg highlighted, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Often, Paul adds mercy, and there's a real reason he doesn't do that. They were living so fruitfully. Then he says, we always thank God for all of you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of God our Father three things, and this is what's going to be our focus this morning. Your work of faith, your labor of love, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing your election, go all the way back to Malachi. Remember, God's choosing brothers loved by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, 
But notice, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with much assurance. How did it happen? How did the church at Thessalonica get deeply rooted? There's your answer, folks. The gospel came in power. They received it, and their lives were transformed. Please be seated. And so if you have your Connect card, here's the blessing this morning. And again, we're going to keep this theme for three weeks. An authentic Christian is marked by transformational response to the Spirit's work in their life. Friends, this is so crucial. Greg, you're preaching in two weeks, my friend. You are. Actually, we're at the elders meeting uh, last week, and Greg's like, so when am I on? The 21st or the 28th? I don't know, both. No, but you're on the 28th, and, and really a powerful, powerful passage, true repentance that leads to life, uh, remarkable. But folks, the spirit transforms, the word transforms. This is supernatural work of God. That's what we have to realize. So I want to share with you basically uh, three aspects of that, just from one or two of the verses. But I hope you realize in the Bible, genuineness and authenticity is foundational. Why? There's a lot of inauthenticity. We call it in our day, people who profess faith and just kind of walk away. Or maybe come forward and pray a prayer. And I'm, I'm not uh, suggesting we shouldn't do that. But folks, it's way beyond that. We're talking about making disciples, true disciples, not just praying a simple prayer. I prayed a prayer of repentance, but it took hold and hopefully bore fruit over four decades ago. Authenticity is important. Why? In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, let me share this to you. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Paul says this, test yourself, examine yourself, to see today, right now, if you're truly in the faith. Do you realize you can test the genuineness of your faith according to the word of God? You can. And that's what we're going to cover the next three weeks. Put yourself to the test. Look in the mirror. God, speak to me. Am I truly in the faith? Why? Eternity, folks. We're not just talking 70, 80 years passing through. We're talking about eternity. This matters. We should long for the person next to us, the person we love, our family, our friends, our sphere of influence, that they can test and examine their faith they're truly in. Genuineness matters to God. Let me tell you a story about genuineness. A number of years ago, Ellen and I are in uh, India doing some mission work, and we got a day off, so we just had a blast in Delhi, saw a cultural uh, museum, went to an artisan uh, just really had a lot of fun. But our team leader said, hey, if you want to pick up gifts, and you always bring that back a few things, go to the government store. It is the most authentic. It's certified by the government. Everything you get there is genuine. Okay, yeah, we're listening to the team leader, so we go. And I found a few cool things. You come into my office, you'll see some big elephant bookends made out of ivory and inlaid jewels, really cool, very inexpensive. But then I always try to bring something back special for my daughter. Let me show you what I brought her back. This is the jewel of India. This is the, the ruby star. 
So again, I'm spending time, probably 45, 60 minutes, learning all about it, examining the stars, picked out one. This is perfect for Ellen or Aaron. It was within our budget. It was kind of a Christmas birthday gift. Sold, went, got home, opened the package, and guess what? This beautiful gem was marred, scratched, cracked. And I said to myself, something ain't right here. And Ellen says, do you remember when we were wrapping up the deal and they took the stone to the back? We thought they were cleaning it and packaging it and getting it ready. I says, I do. They switched out the stone. We went to the certified store, the most authentic place to buy something from India that you can hang your hat on, get a document, and guess what happened? I had an inauthentic jeweler ripping me off. But guess what? We know Reverend Yesu Bendela. And you don't mess with Reverend Yesu Bendela because he seems to know 1.3 billion people in India. So he got on it, and guess what? He got it corrected. Way to go, Reverend Yesu Bandela, if you're watching. Nah, he's a dear friend. But isn't it a stinker to, to go through that? You think you're getting something authentic and it's inauthentic. Here's what God's heart is for you and me today. He wants to make sure we're in, that we're living authentically. And so the whole chapter of 1 Thessalonians is dedicated to genuineness. And so, folks, this ain't hard on us. This is a gift that we're able to test or examine ourselves. So, three things we want to look at, three responses to the Holy Spirit. And again, we're going to build on it over the next two weeks. So, we're just touching the tip of the iceberg this morning. All right, response number one, authenticity marked by good works, or what I would like to call God works. In other words, the source of the good works is always spirit-empowered. This is the fruit of the spirit in our life. That's what we're talking about. So where do I get that from? Look at verses 2 and 3, chapter 1. We always thank God for all of you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of God our Father, notice this phrase, your work of faith. Can I give you just a paraphrase translation? your works that are a result of genuine faith. That makes sense? Folks, we're not saved by our works. We're saved for works. We put our faith and trust in Christ, and he, by his spirit, by his word, and as we yield in obedience, bear much fruit, John 15, for the kingdom and glory of God. And so there's evidence of this. Timothy came back with the report. Why? Paul had a question mark. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone? Have you ever had someone kneel before the Lord, pray a prayer of repentance and faith, but you're wondering two weeks later, are they, are they really in Christ? Will they really show up to, to Bible study or discipleship or church? Do they really repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Christ? Of course we have. That's a common experience. That's Paul's heart here. People said yes to the gospel, but he had to leave, and he's just burdened. Timothy comes back. Can I show you a few evidences of their faith? Again, Pastor Greg's going to be speaking on this. See how much airtime I'm already giving you, sir? So your sermon has to be brief, brief now. All right, verse 9, ready? 
He says how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's fruit. If you recall what happened in Ephesus, they took their magic books and burned them. That's repentance. That's turning from idols, turning from things of this world to serve the living and true God. Let me show you another one. I love this. This will be fun when we get to chapter 2, verse 13. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the message about God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is the message of God, which also works effectively in you believers. So what's the evidence? Certainly they heard the message, they repented, they served God, but they received the word from heaven, from God, the inspired word of God. Paul wasn't coming in with a new philosophy, a new idea, another worldview to consider with many of the ancient philosophers. No, he's coming in with the word of God, and they embraced it as such. That's evidence, folks. Very foundational verse to this concept is found in Ephesians 2.10. Prefacing Ephesians 2.10, you are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works. Why? So we don't boast. So we don't toot our horn. But look at the result of genuine faith. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. He is an artisan created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works. The result of genuine faith is God works. And notice this next phrase, because sometimes we neglect this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. From the foundations of the earth in eternity past, this is how he dreamed it. We would receive the word. We repent of our sins. The Spirit would infuse us, and we would live in a manner worthy of the gospel. God works or good works. Thank the Lord for that. And what a blessing. And so, friends, Jesus taught uh, quite a bit about authentic and inauthentic people. Can I show you a passage from the Sermon on the Mount? Now, in the context, to be pure, he's addressing false teachers. But the principle's always true for all of us. So let me share with you what he preached. Towards the end of his sermon, he says, in the same way, every good tree produces what kind of fruit? Good fruits. But that makes sense, right? You got a healthy tree, it's going to produce healthy fruits. But a bad tree produces bad fruits. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. That's rational, right? Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, and then the capstone so you'll recognize them by their fruit. In other words, our life of God works, spirit-empowered works, testifies to the transformational gospel in our hearts. That's all Scripture is saying. James, if you read his beautiful epistle, it's very proverbial. He talks about faith that works. He says, I'll show you faith. You want to see faith in action? Abram, a man of faith, uh, Genesis 15, 6, uh, God credited to him his righteousness, his faith, but what does he do? He demonstrates his faith by taking his son to Mount Moriah, ready to offering his son up. His prized possession, Lord, I yield him to you. James says, I can show you his faith by his fruits. That's all the scriptures are teaching. 
It's faith that works. Isn't it a grand way to live life? Spirit-empowered faith. What a gift. So Galatians 5.22, or 5.22, uh, the beautiful thing is, folks, this is God's work in us, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Those are the things that drive the attributes that drive the good works in our life. Last week, Ellen and I had just a winsome conversation with a relatively new family at our church. And of course, we want to share God's stories at Westwood. Our vision team met a few Saturdays ago, and we want to hear from you folks. How is God working in you, in your home, in your community, at work, wherever you're planted? Let's tell the God stories. But this was a fun God story. Uh, relatively new family, plugging into life group, plugging into children's ministry. And then as we were chatting, they're on vacation this week, and they said, Pastor, we want to take next steps at West Wind. How do we do it? That's the question the pastor wants to hear, right? And of course, my natural response is, well, we love having lunch with folks, and can we grab lunch when you get back? And yes, we'll grab lunch. And one of the things we'll talk about is the journey experience because that helps people go from here to there as they discover their shape for ministry, as they understand our doctrine, as they see our vision with mission, core values, strategy, and measures, and a personal action plan and a corporate action plan. We look forward to that. But that's a work of faith. That's God working in and through them to cause them to take next steps. Thank you, Lord. And so I want to challenge you, a few application points that are very uh, relevant to all of us. Hebrews 10.24. I want you to think about this right now. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. Right now, we can spend a few moments and we can think of ways to motivate each other to love and good deeds. Any thoughts come to mind? Anybody inspired by the Spirit? I have a suggestion. Meals from the heartland. Oh, where'd that come from, Keith? My wife's back there. I have my computer. Here's the deal, folks. God has blessed us with resources through our VBS. Way to go. Your contribution. Love those petty wars, right? And, uh, and yet we set aside uh, uh, $5,000 to participate in this. We want to put together 20,000 meal packs that could feed 120,000 people for a day. That's a good deal. Was that video inspirational? Folks, that's what we're talking about. It's that simple. Show up Wednesday night. Just put these food things together. Someone's got to seal that bag well. We'll put it in a box, and who knows how God's going to use it for his kingdom and glory. One little step of God works. But I want to spur you on. If you're not signed up right now, did, did you feel the weight of that? Yeah, right. Okay, here we go. One final verse, Titus 3.8. Hone in on this. I want you to insist on these things, Titus. Paul writing to his young pastor friend. So that those who have believed God, Lord willing, us, might be careful, notice this next phrase, to devote themselves to what? Good works. 
That's our privilege, dear friends. That's a result of spirit fruit in our life, the transformational gospel that takes place, and we can live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Response number two, authenticity marked by a toiling love. Ellen didn't like this word, so I had to work hard to persuade her from the original Greek language, that's what it means. How many of you like the word toiling? You love Ellen way more than your pastor. That's fine. Can I just get one? One vote. Yay! One vote. Heather, thank you. Missy, thank you. I'll give you one more time. Anybody like the word toiling? Piper, there we are. It just takes a little while to, you know, there's four of us now. You'll remember this word. But that's the word, folks. So the question, the reason I put that word there is, what is different from toiling love, because it's really a part of our work, than good works? Well, hopefully I'll demonstrate that. So back to First uh, Thessalonians 1.3. We always thank God for all of you. Remember you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of God and Father your work of faith. Notice, similar word but different, labor of love. The word their labor is toiling. It's going all in. This is persecutions on us. Remember? The scoundrels, the mob in Thessalonia, they were being weighed down by opposition, but they kept going. So it's a toiling love. It's a pursuit. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, his motivation for Christ's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. And so the motivation always for who we are, toiling, wrestling, persevering, is the love of Christ compels us. His great love for us. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. The foundation of every act of service, the motivation is the love of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 is a very corrective passage. It's beautiful. It talks about what love is, what love does, and what love does not do. It concludes with, now abide these three things, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. But it opens very, very challengingly to the Corinthian church. Let's take a look. Paul says, If I speak human or angelic language, but do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have all faith to move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I devote my goods to feed the poor, And if I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Folks, why is that corrective? Because the Corinthian church was so me-centered. They just thought they were the best thing in the spiritual world because they had all this gifting. And Paul says you can have all that gifting and yet not have the foundation stone of love motivated by the love of Christ. Your service, giving your body to be burned, literally means nothing. Can I paraphrase it for us? So if I'm a pastor vocationally, 
if I'm a staff member at Westwind, if I serve as an elder or life group leader, a children's worker or youth worker, if I serve in any capacity, hospitality, or meals from the heartland, but it's not motivated by love, guess what happens? It's not fruitful in God's eyes. It might look fruitful horizontally. We might get away with it. But God sees and he knows. And it saddens him. And so what's the corrective this morning? The corrective is real simple. God, as we serve this coming Wednesday, and we will, it's going to be a blast. May my motivation be love for you. A response to Christ's love. The love of Christ compels me. May everything I do be done for your glory and not mine. That's what Paul is championing. I want to show you a picture of a couple that we got endeared to over the past few weeks. Some of you know Ellen and I had the privilege, and we do want to say thank you, Westwind Church, for uh, the time away to go to Sunscape Retreat. We had a wonderful time. Uh, we're still reflecting. We're still processing uh, that beautiful time together and certainly look forward to sharing more. But this couple here, Mark and Debbie, let me tell you a little bit of their story because we saw this principle in action. Just imagine not knowing anybody at a retreat center that's literally 30 hours round-trip drive. You're coming in for a whole week, and you're going to serve five couples you've never met. You just heard about this ministry that supports uh, vocational servants like missionaries around the world, pastors, and so forth. And so at a point in time, God works in your heart to say yes. You drive in. You settle in, you show up, and the kitchen and the resort facility is yours. And basically, they had one uh, purpose there, to bless God's servants. And so what we saw was pretty remarkable. We saw a couple, morning, noon, and night, prepare three beautiful meals a day, serve us at the table, wouldn't allow us to even pick up a fork to clean off the table. We would be dismissed. They would clean. They literally went from morning to evening, day by day, to bless us. We got close to this couple. We were so thankful for them. I think they received a lot of joy. But one thing I'm absolutely convinced of, I can't see people's hearts, but boy, oh boy, it seemed like the motivation, because there's no compensation, folks, they paid a lot for gas. They gave a week of their time. They poured themselves out. There wasn't a lot of free time to go hiking. This was an act of service. This is what I think Paul is talking about, toiling, laboring, pouring yourself out in a season of ministry. For those of you who are part of the VBS, um, and Tara certainly can attest to this. I know Chelsea can. Um, when you come to VBS after a full day's work and then you do it five days, five evenings back to back, would you say that's toiling? We were wiped out. But it was great toiling. And it's motivated by the love of Christ. He poured himself out for us. And that's the privilege. And so, folks, what is the spirit fruit here? It's ultimately this. Any act of service. Any toiling, any persevering is always motivated by love for Christ. Not love for my name, not love for our glory, not love for a church's name, but for the glory of Christ. Let's keep it there. Finally, response number three, and we're wrapping it up, authenticity marked by an enduring hope. Who is that hope? 
It's Jesus Christ. And so we're going to set our sights on eternity, folks. We want to be so heavenly-minded that we are earthly good. We just want to long for that. So let me show that to you in verse 3. We recall in the presence of God our Father, your work of faith, your labor of love, and notice this, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. How could they endure with such harsh persecution? Hope in Jesus Christ. How can you and I go through the trials and tribulations, the struggles, the ups and downs, the mountaintops and valleys in life? Hope in Jesus Christ. Folks, we have a hope, and it's an enduring hope. That's the beautiful picture here. This word is a quite remarkable word. It's a compound word in Greek, and it literally means to bear up patiently under a load. Let me illustrate it from missions. This is, uh, if you ever go to Mali, West Africa, or many parts of Africa, this is how they travel. How would you like to travel around a country in a vehicle like this? Folks, this is normal, okay? So you got this minivan. You put as much stuff as possible, the kitchen sink on the roof, and guess how many people pile in? A van made for eight has 38. And you're just wondering if you really think this is God's will for you to get on such a thing. But I promise you this, for the most part, they've had a few accidents, we've seen them, and it's been pretty bad sometimes. But for the most part, they get you from point A to B. Bearing up under the load. I was going to show you a motorcycle one where you got five or six people and two or three kids and then all the groceries, I just decided not to. This is a little softer. But that's the point in this passage. When you're weighed down, when life feels oppressive, when your heart is just absolutely heavy, when you're broken and you don't even feel like getting out of bed, when there's more tears than there are smiles, when you're blindsided and life just seems overwhelming, where do you look? You look up. You look up to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Why? We have an enduring hope that allows us to persevere in the midst of the storm. And yes, we can get weighed down, but guess what? We're yoked with him. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When we stay yoked with our Savior, we can press on, we can persevere, we can finish the course. One of the heroes of my faith, and I encourage always find heroes, find people who have gone before you, have finished well. If you know the name Johnny Erickson Tata, um, she is just a gal I admire. I've read a lot. I've listened a lot to her. She's just a godly gal. As a teenager, she became a quadriplegic. I won't go into all the details, but for 55 years, she's lived in that world. I've watched videos over the years when she got breast cancer. I watched her story, her narrative, when she never ever felt pain below her neck, and now she's feeling pain because she's ill. And she told her God's story. A few years ago, she told her God's story. I want to close this morning thinking about this. The authentic believer. There's a genuine work of faith that produces good works. Her ministry and life is remarkable. There's a hope for eternity that allows you to persevere and endure in the midst of it. And the motivation always is love for Christ. Let's take a look. Hi, I'm Johnny. And I am shaking my head wondering, 
How did I get here? 52 years in a wheelchair is a, a long time. I mean, even Jesus thinks so. In John chapter 5, the Lord was at the pool of Bethesda, remember that? And he stopped by a man on a straw mat who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And it says, quote, when Jesus learned he had been in this condition for a long time, that's what it says in verse 6. And when I read those words, a long time, I mean, tears filled my eyes. Because, man, if Jesus thinks that 38 years of paralysis is a long time, what's he think of 52 years? Yeah, I think he probably says it's a long time. And so do I. And yes, every day I'm wasting away. Uh, you've heard about the recurring cancer and those new problems with my lungs and pain. And our bodies are just fragile. But I am still on the growing side, the strong side. Because like the Bible says, I, I'm growing in two directions at the same time. Outwardly, I'm wasting away. But inwardly, man, I'm being renewed day by day. My body may be unraveling, but my spirit, my, my, my measure of faith, and my assurance of salvation, my sensitivity to sin, my confidence in the Word of God, my hope of heaven, compassion for others with disabilities, my love of Jesus, everything about my spirit is growing. Sure, I'm weaker physically, but I grow stronger spiritually. Deep, great trials bring with them deep grace from God, all of which enlarges our soul's capacity for Jesus. And that's what I'm celebrating on my accident anniversary. So join me in the celebration. Help me here at Johnny and Friends, would you? Share this wonderful message of being renewed in Christ day by day. Help me share with many more people with disabilities all around the world. God bless you for listening and caring and being a part of Johnny and Friends. Let's stand, please. Johnny recorded that three years ago, 55 years pressing on. I want to invite our elders. Uh, we always want to encourage you after worship, our elders are available on the wings uh, for support, for prayer, for encouragement, to hear your God stories. We'd love uh, for that to happen. But friends, can I encourage you? Two things. Truly, Meals from the Heartland, gospel-centric ministry. If you can make it, you haven't signed up, check with Ellen. Um, you can get on your phone, whatever. We would love to have you participate. We have a lot more resources than people. And so the more people, the more resources, and man, we just get to, to celebrate God's kingdom come through this partnership with this neat ministry. But secondly, are you in the faith? This is a sobering question. You can know. You should know. We want you to know. God wants you to know. There is an authenticity about Christianity, and it's measured in Scripture. The Thessalonians repented of their sin and put their faith in Christ. And there was evidence of that repentance, life of good works, enduring hope, overcoming persecution, laboring in Christ. And that's just the starting point. So please test yourself. Let God do a work in you that only he can do. Pray with me, please. Father, we stand in awe of you. 
when God builds a church, that's true in Thessalonica. Wow. We stand in awe of you. We thank you today that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you'll do any soul surgery needed to ensure that we're in Christ, that we have hope for eternity. But we're going all in today with urgency to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So thank you for this biblical worldview. Wow, to live fully present and to, look, to live fully expectant for Christ's return. So I ask your blessing now in this time of fellowship. Uh, our elders, we thank you for them, their encouragement to come alongside. We pray as we move forward this week, especially leading up to uh, Wednesday, Lord, may meals from the heartland just be a, a God time together as we purpose to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it be so, Father, we pray in Jesus' name.